edition of First Strike. Before we start the show, we've got a plug. Our main sponsor, FaceToFaceGames.com, the number one place to get your Magic the Gathering singles. So go check them out today. Especially also check out the FaceToFaceGames.com tournament series that is starting this weekend in Vancouver. So for more information about the whole circuit, go to F2FSeries.FaceToFaceGames.com. I'm really excited about this episode because we got my man, one of my original mans in First Strike. Uh, People are starting to think that he's quit the show, but he's not. Brian Gottlieb's in the house. How's it going, Brian? I miss you. I miss you too, KYT. I certainly have not quit the show. First Strike is for life, and everyone knows that. Um, I just, it, it's, it's been tough with some scheduling stuff and other stuff going on. I feel really bad. Obviously I love the first strike nation. I want to be here all the time. It's just tough right now. I'll, I'll get here whenever I can guys. I promise. And I'm here this week and there's an exciting amount of stuff to talk about. So I think I found a good week to get here. So a very good week. This is going to be an exciting episode. We also got Andy football Peters in the house. How's this going, Andy? Oh, it's going lots of things going on. I'm <laughs> glad to have you. Remember, no swearing. <laughs> uh, we couldn't get Kale on the show again because he was busy after winning that GP, but we had to settle for you. So thanks again for being like, you should win the Sixth Man of the Year award by now. <laughs> Sixth Man of the Year. Um, <laughs> as uh, official representation. <laughs> and we got Jonathan Good in the house, returning uh, First Strike Nation producer, actually, and also L3 Judge, regional coordinator for Canada. How's it going, boss? Oh man, it's going great. I'm actually just here. Like people think that I'm here to talk about the judge perspective on drama. I'm just here to judge Andy's language. So he doesn't know it, but we got some like party fouls. He's got the first strike infraction procedure guide that KYT shipped me this afternoon. So like, watch out, man, or you're getting some red ink on your results slip tonight. <laughs> all right. Uh, we're going to be covering, of course, last week's uh, WPN announcement, all that good stuff. Pick John Good's brain from a judge's perspective. At the end of the show, uh, but we're going to start with the good stuff about the huge bannings that, that were announced today. But Brian, I just wanted to pick your brain before the bannings. Where, where was your head at when it came to standard? Uh, did you assume there were going to be no bannings? No, I was fairly confident there would be bannings. I, once Melissa's article came out, kind of comparing, um, you know, energy in its current state to eight ban affinity, the writing was on the wall. It was very clear that a ban was happening. Um, and yeah, this is in line with what I expected. Obviously there is uh, a huge surprise card included in the band decision, but otherwise I, I knew a band was, was coming. I was, I was very confident in that fact. And to the point where like, I really wasn't doing a lot of deck building because I was pretty confident that we were going to be looking at a band come today. Okay. So, so with that, let's just get right to the announcement for people who have somehow missed it. Tomb of Aether is banned. Rogue Refiner is banned. Uh, Rampage of Ferocidon is banned, and Ramnet Ruins is banned, uh, effective January 19. So that would be um, early reaction from you, Brian. Oh, you weren't surprised at all. Uh, were you surprised by the number of cards? Most people were like, oh, name one card that they were going to be banned. People were guessing, probably a tune. But now we got four cards instead of one. Were you shocked? Uh, well, I mean, anyone who tells you they aren't shocked by the inclusion of Ferocidon in this list is lying to your face. Like, nobody saw this coming. Um, it's, however, the most incredibly, like, nuanced and thoughtful approach to bands I've seen so far. Wow. And as much as 
I hate bands and lament the current state of standard. They've essentially, and they being wizards, have essentially at this point like kind of thrown up their hands and been like, look, things were bad. The environment around creating cards was bad at this time. I think they were dramatically understaffed when these sets were being designed. Um, this, I believe, still predates the hiring of the new CEO, uh, Chris Cox, who obviously has kind of doubled down on his investment in magic and has allocated some resources to wizards in the form of the play design team. They've hired a lot of really bright, really talented people in the most recent months. So they're taking steps to ensure this doesn't happen in the future. However, there's a tremendous amount of lag built into those steps. It's just not going to, there's going to be some time until we see the results of the play design team. So in the interim, they kind of have to use some drastic measures and they have to put band-aids on a format which was very clearly broken from the outset i mean this is this is the worst mistake probably in the history of magic this this recent run of standard bannings and i think that's becoming indisputable at this point but at this point i'm past kind of lamenting these mistakes i rather they admit the mistakes take steps to fix them they are doing that they're doing that in spades and not only are they addressing the mistakes but they're doing so in a very thoughtful way the inclusion of Ramanap Ruins and Rampaging Ferocidon anticipates the next move. And actually, the inclusion of Ferocidon anticipates the next, next move. Um, you know, if they had just banned the team or cards that everyone was clamoring for, Ramanap Red would have been absolutely dominant. I think that's indisputable. Um, however, they identified the ways that it was unhealthy and allowed there to still be the presence of a mono-red deck in the format. I think mono-red is still an entity. It'll still see some play. It's certainly downgraded dramatically in power. What it's lost is something that never even felt mono-red to me. When you think of mono-red, you think of like this super aggressive kind of, you have to get your points in early because things are going to deteriorate in the late game very quickly. These red decks were so powerful that they played the late game just as efficiently as you know mid-range decks, as control decks. They absolutely were competing into the later turns of the game. A huge portion of that was based on Ramanap Ruins. They just had installed reach that was basically uncounterable, um, and, and they utilized that, and they took advantage of it very effectively. So that was a huge portion of the problem with this iteration of Red. Um, the banning of Ferocidon anticipates what could possibly come next, and Ferocidon very subtly closed down a lot of the options I was looking at when I was brewing, pre-banning. Um, Vampires, as I see it, is kind of this very go-wide tribe now that's dependent on lifelink, completely invalidated by the presence of Rampaging Ferocidon. Any kind of token strategy, which was something that was really powerful and kind of was doing a good job of keeping the meta in check very early on in the format, until Mono Red added Ferocidon to their list, and then the tokens list absolutely could not compete anymore. So stapling on two extremely powerful hosing effects to an already efficiently costed creature was having a tremendous impact on the potential avenues for deck building. And by removing it, I think they've at least for the time being dramatically opened up our options in standard. Now something's going to flow to the top. That's, that's the way magic works. The hope is that it can be cyclical and you can adapt to whatever's on top and then something new comes on top. And I think the way things are shaping up, it's more likely that that's the case now than it was in the past. So I, I'm all for these bands. Is there a problem with existing standard? Absolutely, 100%. But those problems have been admitted to and addressed at this point, and we're just sitting through the lag period. And being upset about this is really silly to me. Like, we should be happy that we have a fun format to play again, which we haven't had for a long time. 
Um, in, in the article, it had mentioned like together these two archetypes represent more than forty percent of the competitive metagame. Uh, Brian, you had mentioned how, how they went next next level, anticipating and uh, banned. Uh, that's why they banned the two red cards. Uh, were you surprised about the two cards from from Energy that they banned? Was it tuned enough, or or did you were you okay with Rogue Refiner gone as well? Yeah, those were. The, I think those were the two cards I anticipated. Um, and again, read the article. I'm not going to rehash the article. They did a very good job of explaining why these are the cards they chose. They're the ones that provide kind of incidental value stapled onto what was already a very good card. They're not the outlets for energy. They're the accumulators of energy that you get to play almost at no cost because they were so f- efficiently costed. Um, so yeah, energy was a huge mistake. I think there's no bones about it. I kind of have been on board with that from the beginning. I've, I've always disliked energy. Um, it's a parasitic mechanic. It um, requires a lot of bookkeeping, which I think we'll get to later on in this episode. <laughs> yeah. um, and it, it just... It, it, le- it leads to deck building like we saw. There was this core of the team, or even when the team decks were Shahili Rye decks, there were still these same cards that were absolutely forming the basis. It was Harness Lightning, the Tune with Aether, Rogue Refiner, Whirler Virtuoso. It was the same cards every time across all these archetypes. And, and it has to be because that's the nature of these energy, these energy cards. Like They're all super dependent on each other to reach their maximum f- efficiency. And basically, there was just like a few too many good energy cards. And now there's kind of a reasonable amount of energy cards. Oh, no, I'm building decks. I'm like, I'm still including Whirler Virtuoso right now, but it's like, huh, this card isn't necessarily just absolutely dominant where I have no choice but to play it. But I think still on rate, it's fine. It's just not going to be game-breaking like it was previously. Like, you're not going to lead with a, a Whirler Virtuoso and get five points of power for your three-mana investment, three of it flying, you know what I mean? Like, those situations are going to be much less apt to come to fruition because kind of the snowball has been slowed down a little bit. Like, obviously, Long Tusk Cup is dramatically impacted by the removal of uh, a tune. And that's good, because that yes. slows down the World of Virtuoso turns. And, you know, it, it just snowballs throughout. It's an unfortunate mechanic. I lament its existence, to be honest with you. But there's just no point in looking at things like that and being, like, negative. Like, we're in the process of moving forward. Let's be happy we have an interesting standard to look at for a little while. Okay, shout-outs uh, in the chat to Cole Clark, who said that he read the article, but still would rather know cards be banned. Andy, let's go to you, but I think you're, you're on Brian's side. Yeah, we don't have uh, Rob here to, to get all negative Nancy about everything. But um, So bans are usually something that you think of as a very negative thing, because it, it hurts. It hurts lots of people, but I feel like Watsy did it right this time. So they banned some cards and they wrote a really thoughtful article explaining why they're banning these cards. And it was the frosted on in particular, like uh, Brian, Brian touched on was just, just so well put it's, it, it eliminated all the counterplay for the mono red deck, which was already uh, just a very powerful late game deck. Like uh, look at a uh, Ben Stark's deck from, from the GP. He took out all the fast cards and just played this like late game, big red deck and this kind of stuff is because of uh, Ramunap Ruins being so good and also the, the Rampaging uh, Ferocidon, which is just such a powerful card. And, and Brian touched on it, the double hoser. A double hoser on a 3-3 menace body. Like, the, the cards you, you counter red with are like go-wide strategies where you can block their really fast attacks or gaining life to like crawl back into a game. And R- Rampaging Ferocidon shuts off both of them. So it was a really well thought out ban. 
to get the faucet on this time instead of in like a month or two from now starting to think to yourself oh my god red is still good we took away the land and red is still good what do we do and with with the uh, energy <laughs> everyone knew a tune was going and it was everyone was basically on the same page about it. it's going to be a tune and something else and what the something else was a lot of people like uh had different opinions but uh Rogue Refiner makes a lot of sense because like Rogue Refiner doesn't scream like build around me. It's just this card. You're like, well, I have to put this in my deck. It draws a card and it gives me two energy and it's a three, two. Like it's, it's not the build around me. It's just this card that you have to play because it's way too good. So it, it makes sense to ban Rogue Refiner. It makes sense to ban a tune and it makes sense to ban the two cards from red. And Watsi, uh, Ian Duke wrote a really well thought out article and they explained it really well. And it's hard to get mad about uh, these bans, which is something that is usually like a super negative thing for a player experience. So they, they did something negative, but they did it right. Hmm. I do have to think, though, um, Andy, because I don't think Brian and I cared too much about uh, the financial aspect of it or the confidence uh, in standard, because we're we're usually just gonna buy whatever it is on MTGO. But maybe as someone who like got owned by the Sahili thing, you might have be able to give us some insight on on people. Like the main concern is that people think that this once again, they rather not see bans because this once again uh, makes it so that some amount of players will lack confidence in standard. They'll see less investment from players. Uh, into standard because they they'll be like oh man there's there's going to be bads again so i can't buy into cards uh too much like i used to before do you see anything in that or do you think that's just people going nuts for no reason well so there's definitely a reason like whether or not it's that good is is up <laughs> for debate but um so not a lot of very expensive cards lost their value with this ban uh, so the the thing maybe that might get worse are the fast lands, but those cards are crazy good anyway. And like Chandra is the most expensive card in those decks, and it's going to get played no matter what anyway because the card is that powerful. So like the the bands didn't hurt that like very exp very many expensive cards. So like from from a financial point of view, like if I owned a Team or Energy deck, which which I do. I I don't feel like I lost like all my value. I feel like sure my my cards are going to go down a bit, but it was a commons and uncommons deck for the most part, and like a couple rares that weren't even very expensive, other than the lands, which you were probably going to buy anyway if you're a buy everything to play the best deck kind of guy. And if you owned mono red, like you lose out on your eight dollar ferocidons or twelve dollar ferocidons. But these are kind of sacrifices that sometimes have to happen in order for the format to be fun and playable. Like, so the biggest loss is Ferocidon. Other than that, financially, like, you could just move on to a different deck. Like, Standard's not that expensive right now, from, from my point of view, at least to me. This was done with financial implications in mind. I think that was a huge part of this decision. Like, that's why Hazaret survives a ban when it's clearly the most powerful card in Mono Red. Like, they're, they're trying to keep these decks viable. And, and by the way, Teamer is still awesome. Like, there are very, very good builds of Teamer that I've already put together, and I'm convinced they're competitive. Um, so you, you haven't lost any value in that respect. I don't know, man. I, like, I, I've been on the negative side and, you know, the, the complaining players. And I think up to the point where 
you're concerned that the issues aren't being addressed, it makes sense to take that tact. Like you have to put out that stance that this is unacceptable. We demand that for our investment, you invest more on the design side and make sure these issues aren't coming to fruition as often. But they've done that now. Like the pieces are in place to ensure that we're not dealing with this in the future. So given that being bent out of shape by these bands is, I, I find it very frustrating to be honest. I think people are just kind of like in the mode of complaining because that's kind of what magic players do quite often. And I've been guilty of it too. Don't get me wrong. I'm, I'm not trying to absolve myself from responsibility. Um, but I, I just don't know what else you want them to do at this stage. Like they made a very carefully crafted, well thought out decision that preserved value and gave us a standard that we actually are interested in playing again. And people are still complaining. What do you want? Like, what were they supposed to do here? Um, I don't know. If someone could tell me a, a potential um, answer that I could have done instead, sure, that's fine. But no one has proposed anything even close to reasonable. Cole is asking for a $25 gift card from Watsi. Again, nothing reasonable. Like, these are nonsense suggestions. So if someone comes up with a reasonable approach to banning besides what they actually did, fine. But at this, this was the right way to go about um, this move. And uh, I'm excited to play standard again. That's what really matters. So. John, John, any, any uh, thoughts from the, the judge's perspective? <laughs> uh, I don't know if you want to be asking a judge about competitive play. I can start off by taking responsibility a little bit for Cole Clark. He's actually one of my locals from Halifax. So, uh, you know, if he's, if he's giving you, if he's giving you problems, I've actually got some good blackmail pictures. So, uh, yeah, some pretty embarrassing stuff. Just let me know. Now, I mean, I, I think a lot of uh, a lot of what Andy and Brian have said has pretty much covered my thoughts. I thought that Ian wrote a great article. I I'm pleased that they're thinking so much about this. We always joke about swinging the ban hammer haphazardly. I've seen lots of gifts around Facebook where it's just like people swinging hammers and smashing stuff, but that's not what they did. That's clearly not what they did. And I mean, Watsi has a habit of hiring people that are passionate about the game. You know, whatever flaws they have you really can't deny that they do love this game. And I don't think that they want to do anything that's going to hurt it. I think this is always a labor of love and um, you know, we've survived crazier things and hopefully continue to. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I agree with that. So we, we have survived crazier things. Um, Brian, with, with, with the bannings now in place, uh, you start to stream, I hear, and where is your head at currently? Uh, what's what's some starting points? Teamer. <laughs> I think it's still the best deck. You got to show me something first. I, I mean, I, I put together a sketch. I kind of, um, you know, moved to Jade Light Ranger in the Rogue Refiner spot. I monkeyed around with the mana a little bit to make it less splash heavy, where it's kind of like the main deck is just splashing for World of Virtuoso. And I want to try shifting to Rekindling Phoenix as opposed to uh, Bristling Hydra, because I think, you know, Bristling Hydra kind of downgrades a little bit. Um, that could be wrong, though. I, I, it's just somewhere I want to start. But when I crafted out this deck, it looked totally fun. Uh, still very powerful, still playing the most powerful cards in the format. Um, so I, I think Teamer's probably still very good. The black-green decks look promising to me. Winding Constrictor into Jade Light Ranger. I think Jade Light Ranger is just the best card in Rivals. Um, so, you know, maximizing that card, getting a six, five for your double explore triggers after you play winding constrictor is pretty insane. Uh, three mana scry to six, five. I heard that's good, but I, I like, I like that these decks kind of have some pedigree pedigree already in place. 
Um, we know that they're competitive. We know that they're capable of competing at top tiers. I do think there's a lot of room for torrential gear Hulk decks now. Um, the token strategies certainly can come to fruition. And I have a draft of vampires that seems promising. Um, a little soft to flyers, which is kind of why I like. I think the Rekindling Phoenix Glorybringer package out of Teamer is a, a nice way to go because there's going to be a lot of ground stalls given things like Merfolk, um, which is horrible, by the way. No one has shown me a Merfolk list that looks anything close to playable yet. So unless you have some sick tech, uh, I'm going to talk you off the Merfolk ledge right now. Um, <laughs> but yeah, th- there's just a lot to explore. And, you know, we still, have a, we still have to see our first iterations of this metagame. We really have no idea what it's going to look like. And once we get that information, then there's a whole new path we can go down. So, um, yeah, I like, I like Teamer, Black Green as baseline, uh, Winding Constrictor, and then, like I said, swapping out at a couple Merfolk branch walkers uh, to kind of increase mana consistency. The mana count has moved up a little bit. Um, but there's a bunch of decks which are still viable. Uh, you know, God Pharaoh's Gift was on the fringes of the format. Didn't lose anything. Completely reasonable deck. Um, even approach. I mean, you can talk about maybe approach gaining some some uh, percentage of the metagame because if you if you looked at that article and their game two win percentage, which is what I've always said, approach was the best deck in the format for game one, and then was horrible after that. But it was something like thirty eight percent in game ones, and then like sixty nine percent teamer was favored against approach in game twos and threes. Something just absolutely preposterous. It's so hard to get seventy percent matchups and magics these days because it just the game doesn't work that way anymore. Um, but in this case, it, it did. And, uh, you know, Teamer had Approach's number to a T. So if Teamer disappears completely, uh, maybe Approach can pick up some metagame percentage. Black, Black Blue looks good again, like kind of like Jerry's World Championships deck. Uh, you can explore that. You get Ravenous Chupacabra, which is a card I'm not as high on as most people. Um, but I do think merits some inclusion there in combination with Scarab God. So there's just a lot of paths to go down. Uh, and it'll be interesting to see how the metagame shakes up in the coming weeks. Um, you, you mentioned Jade Light Ranger is, is the most exciting card for you in Teamer? I think it's the best card in the set. And okay. not only in Teamer, but in, in Black Green, too. And kind of maximizing that card is where a lot of my builds start. Um, it's like the only, <laughs> the only good Merfolk, <laughs> despite all the other ones. Um, but yeah, it, it's not actually a Merfolk. It's just the best green card. It's like the new Tireless Tracker, um, the new kind of Rogue Refiner, honestly. It, incredible value strapped into a very reasonable body. So I'm definitely excited about that card. Oh, Andy, have you started looking to Standard? And, and you know, quickly, do you, do you agree with Brian? Do you think j Ranger is the most powerful card potentially in, uh, in Rivals of Ixalan? Uh, it, it's a, just a very obviously powerful card. It's either it or like the Chupacabra, I think, uh, is up there for a most powerful card. I can't believe I'm saying the word Chupacabra. I love it. I love it every time you say it. Chupacabra. Yeah. But uh, the Scarab, like, the first place I would look is the Scarab God's, like, maybe the most powerful card in, in Standard overall. So, like, and, it got, and the Chupacabra is very good with an end of the battlefield effect. And then get out of here. Get out of here. And um, so those two together seem pretty good. And there was already this blue-black mid-range deck that uh, Jabberwocky was playing uh, for a while with, uh, like, a Freebooter, uh, like, a little removal spells, which now it has, like, a two-mana minus two minus two, so maybe that's playable in that deck as well. And now it can slide, slide in the, that uh, Chupacabra. <laughs> and, uh, Jabberwocky should play Chupacabra. 
The Jabberwocky plays the Chupacabra. <laughs> it's just fun. It's a it's a wild ride to say all these names. But um, I think Blue Black is a way to go. And the the first initial deck that that a friend of mine told me about that actually like made me kind of excited to think about was like a Greenback Winding Constrictor deck with the the Jade the Ranger as well. It loses a tune, but like it wasn't a tune wasn't that like necessary for that deck in particular to uh to thrive so i think uh i think that shell is likely where i would start uh do you think teamer is still a thing well the deck was was so insane that taking eight of its cards away making it play a couple more lands it it's probably still it's probably still good like how bad how bad did long tusk cub get i was i didn't always draw a tomb of aether i didn't <laughs> always draw a rogue refiner i won a lot more when i did but like the deck was still quite functional without them okay so wayward sword tooth uh still no shot What's that card do? I knew I knew you wouldn't know. <laughs> Wait, is that your spoiler card? Yeah. We jokingly call that the three mana five five no downside. <laughs> There's no downside to it. <laughs> yeah, it's just a three mana five five no downside. You get to play an extra land. <laughs> I love it. Uh, obviously, that that card has potential if uh, you have nine other permanents in play. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> On turn three. <laughs> Which is totally reasonable, right? That's yeah, free. <laughs> no downside. Um, and yeah, we, we actually forgot to mention some other, outside of, of the standard bannings or other changes uh, that you have an opinion on. Can you quickly mention them? Some of them like um, silverback, uh, silver border. Silverback. Silver border cards are now back in Commander. They're banned. Um, They're banned, dude. Oh, bad. Sorry. Sorry. They're out of here. Well, yeah, so, quick hits. Well, uh, hopefully, Watsy made Watsy and and friends made enough money on the secondary market to uh, capitalize on the silver bordered wonders from Unstable and its uh, the sets before it. But uh, I don't like everyone's very cryptic commands. Like, well, I feel like there should still be a version of Commander where it is legal because people ate that up, man. They loved it. They couldn't get enough of it. So I think they should have like some variant of it somehow that it, they are still legal, but at the same time, I don't really care. <laughs> uh, what about the uh, state of legacy? Well, the state of legacy, Deathrite Shaman is a menace and deserves to be gone. <laughs> but it's still there. It's still yeah, it'll be there forever. It and Brainstorm are just going to sit there at like back in their apartment, cackling <laughs> that they're still legal, and no one's going to do a god dang thing about it. <laughs> oh man! Oh, John, any opinions on on silver silver board <laughs> cards? <laughs> uh, I mean, it just it speaks to the one of the classic like push and pulls in any magic community is like, are you trying to win or are you trying to have fun? Like, do you want to see crazy stuff happen with your deck or do you want to see like efficient or is this is magic a serious game for intelligent people or is it just you just want to see cardboard do crazy stuff? And that happens in the commander community as well, right? There are people who want to play commander because they want to win 
and there are people who play commander because they want to win by accident after assembling their like Rube Goldberg machine of cardboard. Um, so I don't know for me, I'm actually, again, a bit of embarrassment. I'm a judge who doesn't really play a lot of EDH or commander. So I kind of, I actually didn't play a single game while these things were legal. So I feel like I missed the boat. But uh, that's, uh, you know, uh, I didn't I didn't manage to play Treasure Cruise while it was in Modern. I didn't manage to play Silver Border cards while they were legal in Commander. I uh, the world just passes me by and I'm getting old. But it looks like people were having fun. Man, well, where does this come from that all judges have to play EDH? <laughs> I don't know. I, I, I don't know. I don't know what. DNA when you know when we get to the point where we can do like DNA testing on judges before they have to judge uh maybe we'll find out what the common cause is there but uh yeah I I I have no idea it's just a random thing maybe because it all it got started with like Sheldon Mennery and a, and a bunch of these more right. venerable judgy types so it might just be kind of a it's not something about judges it was like more of a top-down thing but I I have no idea I have no idea Brian Brian's likely never going to be a judge. Um, <laughs> that's what this tells us. <laughs> that's probably accurate. Yes. <laughs> uh, my my perception was that it just started in the judge community, and that's why it like caught on with judges. I mean, it's just like by inertia. That's where it came yeah. from. So everyone picked it up. I think so. There's kind of an experience that a lot of judges have where they they love being the guide and navigate, um, or they guy or gal or, or what have you they love being the person to navigate a complex rule scenario so they really love these situations where there's a bunch of really bonker stuff happening and then they get to talk about the bonker stuff that happened and and how smart they are that they actually knew how it works like in a, in a beer afterwards and that's cool that's fun right um and i think you don't really get that in other formats because uh, it's not really what those formats are about but uh, if you if you really want a noodle scratcher uh, find a judge and ask to play some judge tower or in Europe they call it as if where you play all of these like gotcha weird cards and the first person to commit a game rule violation loses you have like infinite life and unlimited mana and etc etc but like it's judges trying to like make each other commit game rule violations that's like super saiyan level commander if that's what you're into <laughs> Terrible. <laughs> um, in, in the uh, banning article, at the end of it, tell end of it, it mentioned that, uh, quickly met, uh, made sure to mention that we have another, that Watsi has another banning restricted announcement next month on February 12th. Um, the timing of this announcement makes it ideal to consider changes based on the results of Pro Tour rivals of Ixalan, and thus will more than likely focus on modern. However, it is also, uh, it also is right before uh, Grand Prix Lyon, which is modern as such a paper effective day of that announcement. If we should change anything, it will be February 23. So as to not disrupt anyone traveling to that event. Hmm. Andy, do you anticipate some changes? Uh, well, uh, so I could see Death Shadow finally going because the, this is like one of the times where the pros just have a monster incentive to play the consistent uh, monster that tears up strategies that are trying to combine multiple cards for some great effect or trying to win the game through grinding people out because you can't you can't you can't exactly beat the death shadow menace it does it all it does it all very efficiently like it has bad matchups of course like uh, it's inherently doing a lot of damage to itself so some aggressive strategies can just just like get its number kill kill it exactly but it's a super powerful deck and i think it's the most likely thing to get banned 
or Storm. Storm is also one of the most likely things to get banned. It gets banned all the time. And it's a, it's about time that we ban one more card from it and call it a day until the until the next time it gets another upgrade. But I could see it getting a card axed as well. Maybe it's time for Simeon Spirit Guide to go, but leave Mox Opal alone. <laughs> Gotta keep the Affinity uh, deck alive. Uh, Brian, you see something uh, getting cut in less than a month? I think you need to see what happens at the Pro Tour, to be honest with you. I, I think that's what this window is for. Um, it's quite possible that... Look, Modern doesn't hold up well under the scrutiny of pro players. It's kind of very easy for them to pick it apart, just their attention isn't focused on it a lot of the times. Um, so, that being said, I don't see any real angles to exploit right now. Um, you know, nothing has really changed with recent printings. Um, I think Death Shadow is just, like, fine. I would anticipate it may be the most played deck. It'll still probably be, like, sub 8% of the field, 9% of the field. So I think that's unlikely to inspire any bans. Um, it's more apt just that we see an unban than a ban. Let me say that. Uh, you know, I, I think that Wizards is incentivized to avoid bans because you see what's going on with standard and modern is getting a lot of press as like a good alternative to having to deal with this kind of nonsense um and just kind of open up the card pool as much as they possibly can so it, it seems to me we're more apt to get an unban than a ban at that spot but this may be just their chance to kind of give some attention to legacy give some attention to modern because um, i think they've had their hands full with trying to theorize through standard for quite a while now and uh you know, it's just a nice, a nice time to catch up on the other formats, I guess. Well said. We'll put. We'll put. Um, other than that, there there was some policy changes for Rivals of Ixalan announced on uh, by Toby Elliott, and we're going to go through some of that with John. One thing that I felt like maybe I, I was the only one that, that felt like it should have been the rule from the get go was now that. Um, some counters you can't you can't use dice anymore uh, when it comes to poison and, and energy uh, because you know they can accidentally change just by some uh, one of you one of the players just touching and and then there's a you don't remember exactly uh, what the total was uh, John like not surprising no not at all and we actually started doing this at. Um... Uh, the World Magic Cup uh, this year in Nice, uh, we actually announced to the players that they had to start tracking their energy on their life total pads. They could use dice if they wanted to because it's, you know, you're used to it. If, you know, it's, we don't want to disrupt your, you know, physical habits too much and drain a bunch of your mental bandwidth at a tournament like the World Magic Cup. But uh, we tried it and everybody liked it. Uh, I honestly think that there's not much to complain about here. It's a huge quality of life improvement for uh, yourself, your opponent. The judge staff, um, it's a good habit to get into to, you know, just announcing life total changes uh, uh, is something that's that's really useful. Um, the source of a lot of DQs are where there's a life total discrepancy and you don't say anything. When you know what the life total is supposed to be, you don't say anything. You act on it and, oops, there's a judge watching over your shoulder. Um you know, your opponent, you should actually be dead right now, but you've Jedi mind tricked your opponent into thinking that you're at one. Anyway, um, yeah, poison counters. Poison counters have been kind of a sticky thing for a long time. Energy counters make sense. Uh, and that actually ties into 
philosophically anyway, um, players having counters and having statuses uh, from a rules perspective, it wasn't really something that we had a, that we really had in place because it wasn't necessary. You can't tap a player. Um, you know, you can't phase a player out. Um, so we never really had to think about it, but you know, now we have some space to, and it's a, uh, you know, like I said, a pretty big quality of life improvement for everybody. Once we get over the learning curve, you know, Andy, you agree? Yeah, it, it makes a lot of sense to force people to write it. it. I don't know how to describe it. It's like obviously strictly better to make everybody write this kind of stuff down. But uh, at the same time, like I know I never wrote it down like my energy total, but I'm sure I could easily be coaxed into it by uh, being absolutely forced to. <laughs> so from here on out, I will write down my energy total at uh, competitive events in my team or energy deck that they tried to kill, but it's still good. <laughs> <laughs> Brian, I, I want I want your take from a design because I, I remember in the early episodes we had talked about how you know, there's mechanics you like and don't like, and I'm curious. Do you you think like the game shouldn't have like too many of these mechanics where you have all these different things uh, to keep track of? Do you think it's more clean uh, and, and could do without? Yeah, this is, I mean, this is part of the reason why I dislike team or, or why I just, <laughs> I call it team energy. That's funny. Part of the reason why I dislike energy as a mechanic, um, it adds another thing that you have to keep track of. And it never made sense to me while we, why we all seemingly agreed that we're going to use dice to track this mechanic because it's as important as anything else, which we refuse to track with dice. Like the number of energy you have is as important as your life total. It'll determine just as many games. Um, so I don't know how we kind of fell into the trap. I think it's because they included that little energy counter in packs, and we all just assumed we were going to put our die on there. Um, but it was a really bad method in the first place. And yeah, having another like running chart next to the side of your life total that tracks your energy counter is cumbersome. And it's, it's a real cost to game complexity. And the point I always made when energy was introduced is that this is a mechanic that will track throughout the history of magic. So modern 20 years from now, if someone decides they want to play Rogue Refiner in their modern deck, that energy cost has to be tracked until the end of time. Like it's just something, it doesn't go away when it leaves standard. It's a complexity cost that the game will bear throughout its entire span of life. And that's a huge decision to make. You have to make those decisions really carefully. In the case of energy, I never felt like you got enough. Also, it so happens that it completely destroyed the face of standard. So that's, that's a huge strike against it beyond just the fact that from a design perspective, I didn't think it was really worth it. Um, but yeah, I, I guess like I'm for this change. It makes sense to me. Um, but it kind of points out even more the cost that I've pointed out in regards to energy in the first place. And look, you have to be willing to take chances like this. I get it. Like you have to be willing to do expansions of the complexity of magic or the game stagnates and nothing interesting happens so i just think you have to balance those costs really really carefully and i didn't feel like energy brought enough the table to the table to kind of take on that complexity cost um, and still feel the same way john would you agree with that perspective uh i mean brian's a smart guy and he uses very compelling points uh <laughs> i think that um uh to be honest, like I haven't played enough of uh, standard uh, in the energy era to really feel like on that on that visceral level to really feel the ways in which energy is kind of this disjointed mechanic. Um, it almost feels like it's tacked on and it's very different from everything else. Um, and uh, I think 
I see what Brian talks about where there's kind of a, a, a complexity cost that's just added to the game forever. And I think um, it depends on what ends up being popular once all these mechanics rotate. Um, I, I haven't seen a lot of them make a huge splash in modern. Like we don't need Harvest Lightning. We have Terminate. Uh, we don't need um, like we don't need a Tomb of Ether. We have whatever. Um, so I'm interested to see the extent to which it it's this odd mechanic where there's enough synergy and you get a critical mass of these cards where they manage to make standard, this sort of wart, this barnacle covered oddity. And then by the time we get to modern, it was just all this, this phase that we all kind of live through and we all, you know, have scars and t-shirts and, you know, we can play whatever clumsy stuff they've done next. Or uh, as, as Brian's observed, maybe they actually, we've, we've got a, New Horizon to look forward to with R and D where they're investing resources. They're investing, you know, a lot of human bandwidth into, we're just kind of living through the short-term pain to get to that era. Um, and uh, uh, I, th- I think that, you know, again, makes my life a lot easier as a judge when people are writing this stuff down. Uh, honestly, if you really want to make my life easy, then you do what those people do where every, even a life total uh, change, they write down what happened where it's like 20 cross 19 Tarn. You know what I mean? Like, Oh yeah. Oh, it's great. It's great. Huge, <laughs> huge cost to the players you know but makes my life easier so yeah energy if you're like zero cross two attune you know and then something happens later on and you get friendly canadian judge come over and be like oh i wonder who's right but anyway i did it for years i, I used to write down the cause of every oh, life yeah? total yeah for a long time and then i realized i just like didn't need to because i remembered i never <laughs> once didn't i wasn't able to recall the life total change i always knew exactly what happened so I kind of stopped doing it because it just seemed like a waste of time. But I, I know that when I qualified for my first pro tour in the months leading up to that, I like made that one of my to-do points because, I mean, I didn't know what to expect. I didn't know if like everyone at the pro tour was trying to cheat you all the time. So I just wanted to make sure to protect myself as much as possible. And that's something I just worked into my game over that period of time. And then I, I kept it up for probably like a year after that. Um, and then I was just like, I don't think I'm actually gaining anything from all this note taking. And I have a problem with completing my games in time anyway. So I probably need to just maximize my efficiency and operations and, and cut this out of my game because it's really not adding anything. Yeah. Do you think uh, do you think your memory improved because you were taking notes? Uh, it's possible. It's certainly possible. I, I It's hard to say because when when I qualified for my first pro tour, I came from I, I qualified at my first ever live event. I was only a magic online player. I went to my first GP and qualified for the Pro Tour. So I was like, oh, crap. I have no idea how to actually do anything in person. And in fact, the, my first round of my first GP, the one I qualified for the Pro Tour at, I was playing like old Jund. I played a Bloodbeard Elf, cascaded, put the cascade card into play, and went to pick up my hand and couldn't find it because I had shuffled it onto the bottom of my library because my <laughs> operations were just so bad that I couldn't manage anything and didn't like know where to put my cards. Um, so I had a huge barrier to overcome and I kind of also had the opportunity to rewrite my, my methods of playing the game from the start. Like I was able to, you know, choose exactly how I was going to approach these things. And it seemed to be prudent to include as much as possible in my repertoire. Um, and then it just came clear that it wasn't really necessary. So it's, it's hard to say the impact it had on my memory, but I guess it was a good starting way to approach playing a lot of live magic. Did you win that game? Uh, I did. I did win that game. <laughs> I don't know how, but I did. Unbanned Bloodbraid. Yeah, Bloodbraid was a heck of a card. So. <laughs> uh, John, you mentioned uh, before the show, we, we 
there might have been some tricky things with some of the new mechanics coming into Rivals, including Ascend. Oh yeah, so it's um, let me let me start with a couple of questions, and I'm I'm curious to hear someone's opinion. If I'm playing a game against KYT, KYT has an Ascend card, and he plays his tenth permanent, and nobody says anything. Do you think I should remind him of that? Just, just, and these are going to go from easy to hard, by the way. So this is the easy one. Don't don't sweat it too much. Do you think I should have to say anything? Um, no. <laughs> Stumped, Brian. No. All right. Well, are you are you asking from a moral perspective or from a rules perspective? Uh, let's go with the rules. rules right? they, they don't always they don't always overlap. Let's say let's say okay. Let's say I, I don't think the rules require you to say anything. I don't think the okay. rules require you to say anything. Exactly, you are correct. All right, so now let's say so I don't say anything. KYT's played his tenth permanent, and he has. Uh, I haven't followed the set very closely. Is there? Um, oh, okay. You know the uh, there's an enchantment that's like you you guys get plus one plus one, and if you have uh, the the Burger King crown, then they have vigilance, that's right? It. Yeah, right. Okay. All <laughs> right. The blessing of the Burger King. Um, so KYT plays his tenth permanent, and then he and then he attacks and he taps his and he taps his creatures. Right. He, it's clear to me that he he's forgotten that they have vigilance. Do I have to say anything then? Yes. Yeah, Ooh. I think so. KYT, you're you're. What do you? They've been right so far. Spikes are going out of his head. What do you What do you think you should have to do? Uh. Yes. Well, sorry, what do you think I should have to do? You're the one who's forgotten your own thing, but what do you think I should have to do? You have... Uh, do you think I should have to be like, hey, the, you, they have vigilance? Do you think I should have to say that? I, I think so, but I'm not sure. Oh, wait, I guess okay. you... No, I guess you wouldn't have to, because it's kind of like exalted oh. triggers where he, when he, like, makes the attack, he has to notify you for the first time that he's doing it, but if he, like, is making the attack and not notifying you, it equates to me with not basically acknowledging that the trigger has hit. Mm. So that's actually, yeah, right. That's actually one of the really weird little cracks in policy that I think a a lot of players get stuck on. And and we leave it, we leave, we leave it there for a lot of kind of semi-complex reasons that I don't have to get into, but the policy right now says that I do have to say something that it's an illegal attack for him to attack with creatures that have vigilance and have them be tapped. Okay. I see the difference. Yeah, now the difference is triggers, there's this weird philosophical thing where I can let you forget your triggers, but I can't let you break a rule. We've said that like forgetting a trigger is not a rule breaker, but like everything else breaks the rules, right? So because ascend is not a triggered ability, it's yeah. it just kind of happens, right? Um that we can't let you now I don't have to, I don't have to say anything. So I can lead kyt into thinking that he's got bad attacks because he forgets his creatures have vigilance that kind of stuff is fine but as soon as he actually does something illegal then the opponent has responsibility to speak up um all right you guys ready for door number three there's only four doors i promise one more question you ready for this okay if i ask kyt do you have the city do you have you, you wear the crown do you have the city's blessing do you think he should have to answer that like completely and honestly do you think he should have to say so I mean, he can't lie to you. Yeah, that, that'd be yes. crazy. He should definitely have to say so. I think can, so. Can he just sure. say figure right. it out? <laughs> yeah, maybe okay. he can say figure okay. it out. Good. An- okay, that's an awesome answer. So this is as written. This is 
if I say, do you have a send or like, do you have the city's blessing? Is it the city's blessing? I'm sorry. I, yeah, city's blessing. I, I think so. I refer to it as a Burger King crown, the whole pre-release and I was getting laughs. So I never actually learned what it is, but um, so yeah. Do you have the city's blessing? You have to say yes or no. The just, I think I can, I can give you the technicalities why you have to say yes or no. Check this out. If I say, do you have 10 permanents? You don't have to tell me that you can say count them yourself. It's really weird, but that's the way it works. Yeah, I see. I see the distinction. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, it's so it's, so it's like if uh, if I'm staring at if I'm staring at an opponent who's got six lands in play, three creatures, and he's like claustrophobia at one of one of my fellas, and <laughs> I think I'm I think maybe he doesn't realize he's actually got ten permanents in play, right? Oh. If I say right, and I'm trying to I'm trying to figure out what's going on he makes an it's you know what i mean he makes an attack of some kind that i'm like jesus he figured this out if i ask him do you have the city's blessing he has to say yes or no and he has to answer truthfully but if i ask him how many permanents do you have he can be like figure it out bro hmm, okay but if you call a judge and ask the judge how many permanents does he have a judge goes i can't tell you that and if you ask a judge does he have a send the judge has to tell you yes or no all right, I have, I have a question. What if, uh, so let's say KYT has 10 permanents, and I say, KYT, do you have the city's blessing? And he can't count. He says, no, I don't. But I know he has 10. Do I have to correct him? Oh, that's interesting. Um, Can I whoa. figure out if he knows? Man, you've stumped the quiz master. Yeah, right. So I don't think you have to correct his statement. But if he makes a play that's illegal, so if he, if like, if, if you say, um, do you have the city's blessing? Let's go back to our, like our vigilance, uh, uh, our, our vigilance anthem scenario. And he's got, uh, you know, five lands, three creatures, the anthem, and he's claustrophobia. One of my, one of my, uh, creatures. So he's got his 10 permanents, but maybe I think he doesn't, he's not really counting the claustrophobia. And He's about to attack, and I say, do you have the city's blessing? And he says, no. And I go, hmm. <laughs> I don't think I've done, I, I, I don't think, there's nothing wrong with that. But as soon as he attacks and taps his creatures, at that point, the, at that point, you have to say something. So there's like a window where maybe he's like, no, and you go, hmm. And then he's like, okay, pass, because maybe he forgets that they've got vigilance. It's really close. Right, like I don't think you're going to make a lot of friends doing that, but I don't think you've done anything illegal. If he attacks and taps his creatures, then you have to say something. There you go. That's that's that. Those, yeah, that's all the stuff that I wanted to talk about with ascend is just the communication aspect of it, um, because it's it exists in an odd place. It's not a trigger. Like I think you know Brian's point about how you can let people forget triggers, and that's fine. And we think maybe that means that we can not say anything, and they're allowed to forget it. But it's this weird thing where they're allowed to forget it as long as they don't do as long as they don't break a game rule as a result of forgetting it. As soon as they break a game rule, you have to say something. The jig is up at that point. It seems like there's going to be a lot of awkward reconstructions where City's Blessing was achieved, then you lose permanence in the course of the game, and then you get to the point where, oh wait, I've actually had City's Blessing this whole time. Um, you know, basically you'll be playing turns under different rule sets right like you'll have played the preceding turns and then you'll get to like a new turn where despite the fact that you have played like your creatures are x they've actually been y and now you're playing this later turn with them being y despite the fact they've always been y 
which is a really strange, strange kind of unwinding to get to. Um, Which is probably why if you were to again ask me to like rank City's Blessing on my scale, it would be fairly low in terms of mechanics. I'm not crazy about it. Um, But I mean, maybe we're getting to the end of good mechanics, which is is something we always have to consider. There's a finite number of magic mechanics out there. um, And I haven't like kind of a bunch of the ones we've been exploring lately. So I don't know. Maybe maybe we're getting to the end of the tunnel as far as good magic mechanics go. But City's Blessing is a little bit problematic for a lot of rules reasons, I think. It's, it's interesting from a gameplay perspective. It feels a little tacked on, but I'm concerned about, the again, the complications of it. All right. I have another question. All right. I have 10 permanents, and my opponent, uh, and I have a card that has Ascend. My opponent Doomblades one of my creatures, but then late, like, but I don't want my opponent to know that I have a send. And then later in the game, much later, I like play another card that cares about a send, but I have no lands anymore, and I only have four permanents left. But I've had the city's blessing from like ten turns ago, and then my, I attack with my card that do, only has flying if I have the city's blessing, and then my opponent goes to block it with a, a, like a random one-two that doesn't fly. And I was like, well, actually. Eight turns ago, I got the city's blessing. What what do you do? Uh, so you I can mean, do that, right? Like you, because you don't have yes. to say that you have the city's blessing. So that's completely reasonable. There, you've done nothing wrong by acting in that way. And it's even like your example is fine, but it's even more egregious where you now have a creature whose power grows into the late game, right? So yes. there's there's like a common who gets plus something, plus something. And, you know, 10 turns ago, you had achieved City's Blessing, and now you play this guy, and you've made no mention of City's Blessing because it hasn't been relevant to this part. And you make this attack, and they block, and they throw their guy away. Um, yeah. and, it, and you've done nothing wrong. And I think that's super problematic. And it's, I understand that City's Blessing, as it's written, doesn't require any kind of action, but why not just staple on action onto it? Like, just say, when you've achieved City's Blessing, you must represent that in some way. And I realize that's inelegant and, like, doesn't fit in kind of the structure of the way they, they kind of, I'm going to use the word code, I understand it's not coding, but the way they code things under the rules, like, they use a very defined set of language and, um, you know, methodology when they're, they're making these templates. But every now and then there's a place for inelegance. And I think this one instance of inelegance clears up a whole swath of rules questions. And in actuality, this isn't going to come up all that often, but just to completely obliterate it, it's a really clean, like you have to have something to represent the city's blessing in front of you when you get city's blessing. And, and that's it. You don't even have to have that anywhere on the cards. It doesn't have to be reminder text. It's just like in the comprehensive rules, when you get city's blessing, you must indicate it in some way. Done. And all these issues go out the window. I just want to see me in a Burger King crown, man. I just want to see those baby cheeks in a Burger King crown. Like you can indicate it. You can indicate it in that. <laughs> no, but I, and I hear what you said. Like one of the problems with it is that the mechanic is fundamentally invisible, right? There's no game action that occurs. It just is true or isn't. The lights are on or off. It's invisible. And we're, it's just kind of like a, a memory test. You either just know it or you don't. And it's you and your opponent trying to, see if you've figured it out or not you know like sounds like a some like a nightmare judge call could occur at like some like a sealed event where you're just like dude i had ascend 15 turns ago 
Yeah, I mean, the nightmare judge calls are always uh, start with. So in a competitive game of EDH, uh, so uh, these are like, uh, honestly, like it's going to be really sticky for the first few tournaments. It reminds me a lot of of energy when it first came out where it's like this is a new way of tracking invisible information or the semi-invisible where you have a dice uh you know uh um and we just have to sort of there's this like spectrum shift that needs to happen in the way players think about the game um and with ascend it's a little bit different because it's not really represented by any kind of physical object and, and you know and i think brian's objection is um a really good one where you know because it's not it's 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 awkwardness is it's kind of invisibility and we don't there's nothing in the rules that says you have to represent it. There's no templating in the, the programming language of the rules um, where we have those kind of tools to do this kind of thing. Um, and I think that there's going to be some, I think there are going to be a lot of feel bads because I'll tell you how this is going to be my, my understanding. A lot of these calls are going to be handled a lot like other game rule violations where if you forget ascend and your creatures have just had some property that they were that, you've made decisions based on an incorrect understanding of what's happening in the game. Um, and again, let's assume that they're honest mistakes and that I'm not actually trying to scum KYT out of a bad attack and, you know, uh, uh, win something I shouldn't, but if there's a, if there's an error that's happened and we're a few turns later, all judges really have is they can back up the whole sequence or not. And if it's like two, three, if it's more than about a turn and a half in the past, you're going to get a lot of judges looking at you and say, well, uh, you're both going to get warnings because you both have a responsibility to make sure that this is legal and we're just going to go from here and nothing's going to change. And a lot of people are going to be grumpy. They're going to feel stupid because they forgot something or they made a bad block and they didn't realize a creature was you know bigger than it was or their creature was smaller than it was supposed to be. And they're going to get embarrassed and they're going to feel dumb and they're going to and that's just what it's going to have to be like until we all kind of find our sea legs on this thing. Hmm. Man. That's a lot. I got. I got to re-listen to this episode. <laughs> I got to go back and uh, go back to the segment to make sure I, I understood it, everything. <laughs> uh, is that everything, John? For that? Yeah. I mean, other than that, like it's 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 just an oddball. I don't think we're going to see it and construct it a whole lot. So, you know, just yeah, on your uh, on on our limited GPS and whatever your local limited tournaments are and, and like my suggestion is if you're playing like fnm if it's super casual thing then like maybe just be nice about it like gaining those kinds of edges aren't really and we talked the last time that we we gassed on about the levine trench so i won't uh waste too much time talking about that but if you're at a pre-ptq or a gp then i mean sure yeah you know like gamers got a game like make sure you make sure you get those planeswalker points yo like <laughs> um but uh yeah i don't know fnms it's probably best to be helpful about it at first and then at gps we can all kind of figure it out but yeah that's that's the the communication stuff the communication stuff and then also you know building some expectations for how it'll be handled when it goes wrong was most of the stuff i wanted to try to cover okay um brian thanks for coming back on uh the show hopefully next time you're back on it won't be uh another couple of episodes i guess (laughs) I will do my best, KYT. And either way, we're going to see each other soon. I'm going to come to GP Toronto. I have my, I've gotten my Airbnb already, so I'm locked in. So we'll be seeing each other in just a couple of weeks, anyway. I'm not locked in. You're not going? 
I mean, I'm not running the the thing again, so I'm not. It's not my GP. KYT, so. if you if you don't go to a Canadian GP, you and me are going to have some issues. Okay, I'm putting it out there right now. Our <laughs> next guest is going to be real uncomfortable. You're going to be asking questions and getting like one word responses. So I'm just letting you know now. Take some yes. steps. No, I mean, I just saw like Andy Andy's Facebook saying like he's not going to GP Toronto. Uh, Andy, what's up with that? I'm going to be in a. A mandatory accounting competition for my school, and I'm very excited. It's a fun opportunity. Mm. It's not fun. I'm I'm pretty mad. <laughs> <laughs> All right, as usual, you can find. Well, where can they find you, Brian? Actually, Brian Go at Brian Go on Twitter, and you can check out his other um, podcast with Jerry Thompson, Super Sweet Podcast, a game podcast, and uh, I think I think that's it. Or, or check him out. Meet him at GP Toronto. Yep, that's also an option. I'm I'm very disappointed in person, though. I really don't recommend you take that approach. You'll be let down. <laughs> All right. See you later, Brian. Later, guys. All right. So, my boy, Brian Gottlieb, uh, and we'll just finish the show with uh, one final topic. Uh, it was announced a huge, huge announcement, at least on the Twitter uh, controversy verse. Um, man, did I actually just no, I did not close it. Um, making magic spaces safer. Um, going to go through uh, just one important paragraph. I feel like the main thing, uh, but it starts off with like the safety of magic events is of paramount important to us. Recently, a few former judges and players had their sex offender status posted to social media. In accordance with our policy, the majority had already either access to magic organized places spending indefinitely and we're not active in the magic community uh you can read the rest but the main takeaway for uh, the main paragraph for me was as part of our commitment to safe inclusive spaces tournament organizers and retailers will be explicitly required to conduct background checks for all staff as permitted by applicable law this includes cfb's events uh, grand prix local store events like friday night magic and professional events like the Pro Tour and World Magic Cup, as well as convention play run by Wizards. So it feels like, um, yeah, a lot. Even I have to get background checked based on what I'm reading here, John, right? Yep, yep. It's, uh, I mean, the sort of initial point of reaction is, oh, you know, judges have to get background checks, but it's also, you know, it's a valid point that uh, this extends to Anybody that a TO or local game store is paying to represent their business and run their tournaments, uh, the, that TO or local game store now has a responsibility within the limits of what is legal in the country in which they are operating. They have to make sure that that person that they're recruiting to run their tournaments and represent their brand, um, uh, they, have to run these, they have to run a background check. So that's the deets. <laughs> <laughs> what was the reaction from uh, the judge community? Uh, okay, so there are uh, the reaction was mixed, um, and I would say mixed to unhappy. Uh, there are there are a bunch of reasons why this is a really kind of problematic moment. Uh, but at first, I think it's like really useful to untangle. Uh, I think some traps uh, that are causing people maybe to think about this in the wrong way. Um, 
this has been uh, there are there are some people who have the opinion that oh we've let the MTG HQ people win right they see this as a, like a us versus them thing I think that's in, I think that that's incorrect I think it's possible to both condemn the way that this happened but still support the possible benefit that we're trying to get across right like like background checks plus does not necessarily mean that the, the, the trolls win. Right. So I, I think it's important to kind of separate those two. Um, second of all, there's uh, people, uh, there's an attitude where, Oh, if you oppose this, then you're pro pedophile. I also think that that's incorrect, right? It's possible to be anti pedophile, but still claim that this is problematic. Like many things in life, it's much more nuanced and much more complex, right? Like these not, these are not very simple things when you try to do, when you try to involve uh, personal information and keeping uh, play spaces safe and you try to do that internationally. Like Magic is a colossal brand. Watsi is a huge international company. Like there's a lot of nuance here that is not contained in, in this one thing. And I personally speaking, like I, I'm not coming from a place of knowledge here, but I think that Wizards was feeling like they're under a lot of pressure to say or do something. So I think maybe somewhere uh, it was decided that it was better to just kind of put out the, to, to say something, even if we don't have the implementation completely ironed out yet, because we get it, it's show doing something about this and we'll give everybody a month to kind of iron out the farts and we'll figure it out. But we got to say something first. And it won't be perfect, and then we're going to kind of figure it out. Um, so it's difficult to think about because of all this, like, you know, Hambly, like, if we do this, then Hambly wins. And I think that that's a, a wrong way of thinking about this. Or if you oppose background checks, then you must be supporting pedophilia at magic tournaments, which, again, is, is like, don't think that way. It's not helpful. Um, there's a lot of objections as to whether or not this actually makes tournaments safer. Um, judges do occupy a position of authority at a tournament. Personally speaking, I think that judges should be held to a higher standard because, you know, even if it would be very difficult, I, like to the best of my knowledge in the history of the judge program, the 20 years that we've been doing this, there's never been an incident of a judge abusing a minor in the context of a magic tournament, right? I'm not saying that it's not problematic to have, people in those positions. I don't want people in the judge program who have this history. Um, but if we're trying to make magic spaces safer, as long as that's actually what we're working towards, that's fine. There are some opinions that this doesn't really help. People are saying, well, you interact with a player, interact with the judge, we're going to background check players. Like, think about this scenario, right? Like, you've got a, a 12-year-old kid who's at a tournament. The parent is like, maybe it's like KY's team's mom who just kind of tossed him out of the side of a moving vehicle at GP Toronto. And KYT is he's playing at this tournament and he's like, however old is little KYT. And he's playing across from this guy. And the guy, uh, when their when their match is done, says, Oh, hey, I like your deck a lot. Do you want to go trade some magic cards? And the kid's like, Yeah, sure, that sounds like fun. And he's like, Cool, it's really busy here. Do you wanna, you know, go somewhere out in the hall or something and we can go trade there? Like, you see where I'm getting at, right? Like, it does there's no guarantee that this is actually gonna solve the problem, but how far are we willing to go in order for Anyway, so this is another issue that people have with it. Uh, another issue that judges have with it is that it's not clear that it's entirely legal to actually do this in many jurisdictions. A lot of European judges are saying that they have much more strict privacy laws and that you can't actually request a background check for these purposes. Uh, legally, it's just not possible. I'm, I'm not a lawyer. I am also not a European lawyer. So I'm mostly just saying things that I've heard, discussions between judges. So... I could be saying stuff that's the wrong and I'd be, I'd be happy to have my thinking on this corrected. I would rather be, you know, 
I would rather be corrected and, and be right about this than, you know, be perpetually ignorant. But um, one of the huge problems that this presents for, for both judges is for transgender judges. Uh, the judge program is actually um, um, a very comfortable home uh, for transgender people. And now those people might be forced to reveal um, uh, what's known as their dead name, what's known as their, their pre-transition name, because maybe they haven't legally changed their name. They might be revealing very sensitive information about themselves to people who don't even know that they're transgender. Uh, there are places, there are all, there are, a less enlightened places in the world where being transgendered is incorrectly associated with being a sexual deviant. And so these, you know, maybe some of these judges in these less than enlightened places are now subject to a lot of harassment because we have this mandate where they have to reveal their dead name to a TO who didn't even know that. Again, you see where I'm going with this. So there's philosophical problems, there's implementation problems, there's community problems. And the reaction from the judge community has been, like I said, like, mixed at best my personal take on this is as long as the point on the horizon is that we're actually trying to make tournaments safe for minors um you guys talked on your uh last week's podcast with shaheen a lot about how young players are the future i got into this game when i was a teenager like you know back when fallen empires was new like the the generation that's coming up behind us will be the future of the game Right. And so we as tournament officials and as their colleagues, as players and as TOs have a responsibility to make sure that we're creating an environment where they can learn and grow and and enjoy things and their parents can trust them and they're going to keep coming back. So for me, as long as that's still our horizon point, as long as there's a safe place for kids to play magic, then I'm 100 percent on board. If this is just sabotage, if this is revenge, if this is some sort of, you know, if this is just like a a fire hose of outrage, just trying to burn stuff down for no reason, then I'm not on board with that. Um, I'm interested in a world where the value that judges bring to tournaments from their rules knowledge and their expertise at how to efficiently run tournaments and the diplomacy skills that we try to teach them in answering judge calls and resolving player dispute. Like when that value is synergistic with TOs trying to actually pay rent, because I got no problem with people making money off of this game and for like a positive player community, like I am, I am in, but I am not down with like, I'm not down with online bullying to get your point across. I am not down with this. I'm not bad. I'm not down with negotiating in bad faith. I am not down with starting disingenuous GoFundMe's where you're apparently going to pay for a bunch of background checks, but then the goalpost keeps moving. And as soon as we get background checks, it's like, no, no, no. Now we have to get this next checkbox before you can have access to this cash. Like again, you see where I'm going with this. Like it's the judge reaction has been mixed at best. Want to unpack? <laughs> Andy, I, mean, I, I think both of us are like, for me, I was always uncomfortable talking about, like, like you mentioned, if you're against some people just like all out say, oh, I guess you're, you're against safety for kids then type thing. That's their snap response. So it's been difficult to have like, uh, to want to have a conversation with, with a lot of people about this topic. But again, Andy feels yeah, the same man. way. Well, yeah. Uh, I, like, uh, ooh, this is, uh, it's tough. Because uh, I, I don't feel the same experiences as everyone, and and in times like this, I try to to like leave these kind of things to the people who are are being like uh, the people who who are going to be uncomfortable as a result of this. 
And those are the people who I, I want to see how they feel about it. And I've, I've seen some people and I see some real concerns about how this is going to make people feel uncomfortable and how this is going to hurt their ability or desire to be a part of a judge program, which may be some sort of escape for them, maybe some sort of place where they're very happy to be this great figure for the community. And that something like that can be taken away to them even because of something like this, because of places uh, that aren't as enlightened or places where things aren't ex- like uh, as uh, accepted. It's it's hard enough to to be a person in a lot of situations that anything to make it harder for these people who have found such a, a great outlet to be social, to be, to help other people and to help themselves. Just, I hate when to see those kind of things taken away because that's uh, why the magic and the judge program is so good for so many people is because it gives that to them. So the end result, assuming it has its heart in the right place and it's, it's, truly to 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 look after the the well-being of children who we of course want to encourage to play this game that is likely good but i i hate the idea the thought of people who have already have it hard enough in a lot of aspects of their life to have this uh, great wonderful thing potentially uh, tainted for them or maybe the reputation amongst their community tainted or they're feeling maybe that now they're going to be self-conscious. They're going to be worried about how, what, what people are going to think. And that's not fair for something that's supposed to be like a wonderful escape, a place where they're not just uh, another face in the crowd. They're the face in the crowd, right? There's, there's someone there. And to have the feeling that you might be perceived as someone else after a reputation you've built and earned taken away from you because of uh, something that might have not have had the best intentions is, is upsetting. I'm sure. Yeah. I'll tell you, man, like I hear from uh, friends of mine who are judges where they'll have a, a, someone they haven't heard from a while. Maybe they played magic back in the day. And this is real experiences that are happening to people. And it breaks my heart. They'll get contacted by somebody I've talked to a lot. They'll be like, Hey, so what's this with all judges or pedophiles? It's like this thing where apparently there's this colossal percentage of, uh, uh, of judges that are, you know, sexual deviance and then now like you know i go uh, like i can, and it and it and it's it's frustrating because it's frustrating for two reasons for it's frustrating because they're like if you read there's an accompanying article um on that uh announcement that kyt um uh, was talking about where, uh, and I think it's worth calling out, like, you know, the judge program is not a perfect thing. Like it's a, it's a, you know, volunteer organization where it's, it consists of just thousands and thousands of people who are doing it because they love it. And there was, there was one judge that slipped through during a changeover in the judge conduct committee where it was like, there was like an email address that went unmonitored for a couple of months. And there was there was like one that got through the cracks and we have to own that, right? Like we screwed up. There was a, somebody who was allowed to be a judge for however long he was. I, I'm not you know, privy to too many of the details. It was like before my time in a more official capacity, but we screwed up, right? We did that one through the cracks at the same time. So, and as soon as we found out with it, like 
you know, we talked about ban hammers early on and like those, let me tell you, like when a judge is found to be in breach of the trust that we put in front of them, you want to see some ban hammers get swung. Like it's, it's, it's fast. And like, we don't mess around with our own who, who betray that trust. But, um, because, uh, it's frustrating because that is a thing that happened and, and we, um, we could have done better. It's also frustrating now there's this stench over the whole thing, right? There's this stench where, you know, I don't know, like what percentage of people that are going to a GP think will look at, will look at a judge in this way, right? Like the vast majority of people that I know got into the judge program because they wanted to make tournaments better. Like I got into the judge program because I wanted to make tournaments better. Like I remember I had experiences when I was a kid, when I was, you know, I, I played those FNMs that were like in a guy's living room with a bunch of his friends, just like some guzzling beers. And it was like stronghold standard. And like, I'm a, I'm a kid and I just love the game and I'm there and I'm, and I'm playing it. Like, I don't want to, you know, I, I don't, I, I, that, that memory kind of sticks with me. Like when I judge tournaments now, where like, I want to, I want to bring it to a better place. And a lot of my colleagues don't really deserve that. You know, they, they actually have good intentions and they work really hard. And like, I love competitive players and I love competitive magic, but I'll tell you a bit of a secret. Like we are mostly, we're like maybe slightly better than flight attendants in the way that we kind of like, we imagine anyway, in the perception of the average competitive player that like when the head judge, when I'm doing my head judge announcements, like, but I know that I'm basically like the seatbelts work like this. The exits are over here, blah, blah, blah. If the plane crowd, you know what I mean? Like, very few people are actually paying attention and that's okay. You know what I mean? Like I don't really ask for much, but I don't think that judges deserve the stench. And that's different from the background check, right? That's different. It's just the insinuations and messages from their long lost friends who are like, what's this I hear about you being a pedophile? Like they don't deserve that. They absolutely do not deserve that. Anyway, I, I got lost on the thread a little bit there, but you know um, now at the same time, I don't want this to become like a woe is judges conversation, right? Like it's that thing that I was talking earlier. You can be in favor of things that make kids and not be super excited about this for a bunch of, because it's complicated for a bunch of reasons. That being said, like this is the way things work now. Like we can kind of judges anyway, and TOs can be upset about it. But now we have to find a way to make it work uh, to the extent that it's legal. I'll tell you, people that I feel terrible about. And if we actually want to talk about the real world impact of this thing, of the, 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 and you guys will have to kind of forgive me, but like, I don't really blame Watsi for this. I kind of place a lot of the blame on the, the, the troll squad. Um, really done they would claim that their intentions are to make magic tournaments better and that will kind of marginally happen maybe it's unclear but what they've really done is they've put a six figure shotgun shell through the budgets of organized play around the world right because watsi has basically said like hey tos and game stores y'all have to foot the bill for this in Canada, the cost of that is anywhere from 50 to 100 bucks. In like Montreal, it's like 105. Because like as soon as this happens, a bunch of judges, like we're all coordinated, scurrying around trying to get information to try to help stores make educated decisions. But like worldwide, we've got, you know, 8,000 judges. Imagine even half of those are active. And 
they, it's probably more than that, right? You're talking 4,000, 5,000 judges that all of a sudden we got to get background checks done before February 9th. Like, do the math on how much money we're talking about. Like, that's really what they accomplished. Let's be real about this. That's, 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 that's actually what's going to happen. It's just like, it's, it's like people were scared about people being dangerous in a movie theater. So they installed metal detectors in the staff entrance so that the staff aren't allowed to bring guns in. But everybody else gets to walk in the front door. And sure, yeah, it's a percentage safer, right? And you can you can be okay with that and still be, you know what I mean? Like you can be okay with that and, and you know, or you can be against that but still be anti-gun and it's really complex, but it's it's... The real effect is that there's just hundreds of thousands of dollars that are going to go to background checks worldwide in the next four weeks. And I don't think that that's, you know, holding people accountable for what they're really trying to accomplish. It's just painful and messy and complicated and, and hurtful and dangerous. And, you know, like if, if, if we're trying to actually make play spaces safer, great, let's do that. But it's like on average, I don't think people are convinced that this was the best way to do it. <laughs> Sorry. It's like, I guess in magic, this is where you say, okay, go right. <laughs> yeah. This is like, this is, this is me. I'm done. In case you can't tell, I have strong feelings about this. And, and honestly, like my, my feelings are complex. There are a lot of reasons that I think this could do some good. And there are a lot of reasons that I think, well, this will do some harm. And I, and I don't trust where it came from and I'm not confident it's the best decision. And as a, you know, a, a regional coordinator in the judge program, I'm really concerned about, um, I'm really worried about my judges. Like I'm really worried about um, like my colleagues because they're scared and they're confused. And so many people are trying to do the right thing, but they don't know what the right thing is. I'm also worried for my stores. Like, you know, I, I can't even imagine what the cost to face to face is going to be because they're the largest judge recruiter in Canada with the open series. Right. Like, you know, I'm already, you know, I'm, got an email dialogue going with like, you know, Schmaltz and Sal and Kelly and, you know, all these guys trying to figure out what the heck we're going to do. But like, that's just kind of the mood out there right now. What the heck are we going to do? And now we got a background check this KYT guy. Who knows what the heck we're going to find in this past? Yeah. I mean, I, I ran, I helped run two GPs. So who knows? Uh, <laughs> oh yeah. Well, we, the movie theater, we, we I had mentioned, I think last episode, um, about an early an earlier episode where Brian brought up the the idea of you know should we be more safe uh, in GPs because there's so many players and should we have like stuff like metal detectors and stuff like that and then you know Rob Lombardi was against it because like less the odds are less likely in Canada at least in in his eyes that uh, someone would you know, go to a GP and cause a lot of uh, damage and like here I. It's hard to say. Like I, I, I'm with you, John. I just feel like in all my years, I never felt like I've played this game for a long time, and I've been dropped off by my mom at, at last episode. I mentioned <laughs> chess tournaments uh, where there are judges uh, there as well. There's there's definitely chess judges, and I don't know. I, I've never felt unsafe, uh, but I, I can't speak for 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 everyone. I can't speak for people who actually feel vulnerable in the in, in these spots and and. Yeah, I just never think felt like my parents made a terrible decision dropping me off at the <laughs> at the local card store, um, and especially when it comes to F and M, 
uh, where a lot of times that it's not really a judge. It's just one of the guys that are, they're just there. They're just like, you just, cause you don't really need a high level judge. He's just, he just works at the store and, and punches yeah. in the results, right? Like, so how much benefit will this really have? Like how, in so many years, there hasn't yeah. been like, uh, so, you know, I see the argument on the other side and I don't think the other side should be seen as, Oh man, let's go pedophilia or anything. Like that's right. Not, yeah. Well, and that's it. And I think it's really important to kind of plant a flag on that where you and I can have this conversation where we're a little skeptical about if the the cost to benefit effect of, of this initiative. But at the same time, you can be mixed on background checks, but pro safe spaces for kids. Right. You, you can do both to be to to be skeptical of background checks is not necessarily to be pro criminal right like we're not actively putting we're not actively hoping that kids are going to be like abducted from the the loading entrance of face-to-face montreal right like that's not you you can think both things and and that's one of the that's one of the the reasons why it's it's difficult to have a conversation about this is because oftentimes if you say all these background checks are frustrating and it's really bad for trans judges and expensive for stores and does it really make people safe you're really you're going to get like dive tackled by like the Twitter sphere for being like, Oh, you're pro pedophilia. Like, what do you think you want all these judges who are perverts to like run around abusing your kids at magic tournaments? Like what's wrong with you? And it's like, uh, it makes me tired. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, there's just a lot of thing ways you can use that money. There's different. And about back mm-hmm. to the guns thing, I think I've read or someone, uh, one of our listeners, or viewers mentioned how like it was for Pokemon or Yu-Gi-Oh! Like they, they caught these kids that were going to bring guns uh, to, to, a, to a tournament uh, in the U.S. They, they bragged about it, I think, on Facebook. And because of that, they, they were caught before they, they were able to get to the venue. So you know, maybe you know, we should have metal detectors. There's, like, there's a lot of different ways, and, and it's important to look at them and yeah. see, uh, like Jamie R. Deacon, very, very vocal uh, person on Facebook, you know, was really against Brian saying like, you know, those would complicate a lot of things for fringe benefit in his eyes to have all these metal detectors and stuff like that. So and, and I don't, again, I don't blame anyone from, from seeing uh, the other side is just coming out for revenge because all they're doing is constantly tweeting at the, the major content producers, like, why haven't you responded and retweeting the same thing. And that's their entire feed. And it can't be like, man, there's just a lot of issues around the world. It can't be like this one issue yeah. that, that you should be outraged about. And uh, <laughs> it's just, uh, yeah, it's just crazy just to see like cons- that's all they have on their feed. They, they have nothing to contribute. So mm. that, it's easy to see what, what they're trying to do. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm just hopeful this, this all works out. To me, yeah. Even though YC didn't respond as fast as like these detractors or whatever wanted them to, I always felt um, compared to other other things I've been part of, I think they're always quick to change. That's been my opinion, uh, John. Maybe yep. like when it comes to rules, like planeswalker rules or what points or whatever, like they don't even let it run for a year before like all the feedback uh, hits them, and they're like, okay, we got to change it for the next year. They don't yep. let it stabilize at all to see. Oh, maybe we should tweak this instead. It's always like. Boom, boom, boom. And again, I expected them to make some sort of announcement eventually, and they did. I just feel like they do actually 
respond very quickly. And, and again, like these bandings, whatever, like there's always changes coming from them. And yeah, yeah, that's my perspective. I, I mean, it's you're you're absolutely right. Uh, like even things within the game, right? People weren't happy with the change of standard rotation, so they went back. People are unhappy about this and that, so they'll ban cards or, um, you know, they're even if it's a little clumsy at times, they're always trying to respond to feedback. They're always trying to do what they think is the right thing, right? Um, and again, and this actually came up early in the episode where we're talking about development, we're talking about ban restricted. Like, I believe um, uh, Watsi is always, their heart is in the right place, you know, and, and they... They want what's best for the game. The people who work at that company, they have a hiring, they have like a very specific hiring strategy where they hire people who are passionate about magic. You know, they don't have these, you know, like $500,000 a year hotshots uh, with, you know, high priced Ivy League degrees to go in there and, you know, run it like some Fortune 500 company. Like it's a, it's us. It's people like us who are trying to make a game that, that we love. And, that involves not only the development that not involves that their choices with, you know, curating the tournament environment through banned and restricted, but they want what's right for the community too. And even if it's implemented, even if it's a little, you know, the, the, the horse carts kind of go around the side of the mountain and it's on two wheels, then like rocks are flying off the side and we don't know if it's going to make it around the bend, but like they, they, they want to try to work it out. And that's actually, I, I think the, the most important thing to be doing in this moment is to try to be having productive conversations about this stuff. Like store owners need to be talking to their WPN rep. And I, I know the information they're getting is inconsistent right now while they're still trying to iron everything out and make it work. But you know, store owners who have like judges, Canadian judges, you can talk to me. Um, you could talk to your local store store owners. You could talk to me. We've been doing uh, the Canadian judges be doing a ton of research to try to find out how these background check works, what best practices are, um, how to handle you know this new world order of like TOs being responsible for personal uh, personally PII personally identifiable information. Um, it's sensitive stuff, but we have to talk about it. Um, I'm interested too to hear like what, how is this affecting competitive players? Like, what happens if we start living in a world where our tournaments see fewer judges because stores just decide screw it? I don't want the expense of having a, you know, I'm not going to do pre PTQs anymore because I don't want to pay to background a check at L2 and these are expensive and spikes are ruining my local business and driving my casuals away anyway. And we don't have judges at F and M's anymore because they don't really care. Like. I'm interested to know how players would think about that world, right? Like um, I'm interested to know how store owners, are they just going to go with one judge who's just going to be the the judge that they use for everything? Like it's going to be, a ch- it's going to be a big change. And the best thing that we can do is to engage with each other and communicate and try to communicate respectfully and productively. If you can, um, you know, just imagine that your Facebook feed actually has a bunch of tabs up top that you can't see. And it's on the outrage tab and it's stuck and you can't change it. And if you think about Facebook that way, it makes it a little bit more productive, but just talk to each other, leave comments, like, you know, send Facebook messages and just and try to learn. And, you know, we'll, we'll probably survive this. Right, that was that was a lot. Sorry, Kyle. <laughs> it's like quick, 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 and then whoop. Um, yeah, I think they'll do it for the show. Thanks for coming on, John. It was really good to have you again to get your perspective on everything. Um, Amen. 
We'll shout out the First Strike Nation producers, which John happens to be one. Jonathan Good, Gals Merchick, Jay Thomas Eaton, Derek White, Matthew Kelly, Adrian Murchison. Thank you so much for making the show what it is. Uh, go to patreon.com slash first strike to support. Uh, every dollar matters, so just $1 is fine. Uh, but $10 allows you to join the First Strike Nation uh, where you get access to our Google Drive with all these cyborg guys. Uh, that we will have to update once uh, Standard and Modern gets going. But we'll definitely have guides for that, especially once the PT decks start showing up and people want to start bringing those decks to their upcoming uh, GPs or, or, or FNMs even. So definitely check that out. And right now in the Facebook group, Brian's going to start pushing his ideas uh, for Standard. And Rob is just super excited about his modern deck that he's been absolutely slaying with. Uh, he has achieved over 1,800 rating now in Constructed, so he's really, really excited about his modern deck so much that uh, he sort of wants to keep it under the radar. But if you join the nation, you can get access to it and see what it's all about. Um, anything to add, Andy? No, the, the First Strike Nation's uh, limited content is like uh, was all the preparation I did for like uh, my pre-releases and some sealed leagues beforehand. And it was actually very helpful to see like uh, the, the top five commons and every color and the, the pump spell and trick guide was, was actually also great. It's something that I would normally just do myself, but it was pretty great to just have like a bunch of people who are, who are really good at limited sort of do it for me. Right. We're, we're playing, we're constantly thinking of uh, new types of content to add that we think are useful that you don't generally get for free uh, online. Uh, so we, we started like experimenting with guides, type of guides that we want to do for every limited set, for every set um, beyond the whole, like the thing, well, I posted on Twitter for free, which is the, the removal and combat trick ones because you know other sites can easily do that. And, but we just made it look nice. And then we broke it down. We had Alex Bianchi give like his synergy, like combos and, and stuff like that. So. That took a little extra work. Now, obviously, Vince uh, Daggerfort and uh, Robert Lombardi also did a lot of the uh, top five that Andy mentioned, top five for each color and stuff like that. So we're trying to constantly add stuff uh, to the nation because we want to thank them for supporting us uh, for so long. Like, it's mainly for the podcast, but we want to definitely give a lot of extra stuff for the support. So thank you so much, guys. Thanks for coming on, Andy, John, and, and for Brian and myself. We will see you next week. Bye, guys. And leave a thumbs up if you enjoyed any part of this.